Hello and welcome to the O&M Stockroom. We are your hosts, Brian McGarry and Ken O'Malley. Tonight is episode number 12 of Complimentary Cinema. If you're new to the channel, Complimentary Cinema is a program where we review and discuss films you can watch for free that are available on YouTube. Be warned, we discuss these films in detail, so consider this a full spoiler alert. Uh, Just a quick explanation on how we pick these films. Usually we're just kind of scrolling through the YouTube listings and uh, we just uh, say, oh, that one. In this case, uh, Ken, what caught your eye on this particular film? Well, this week in particular, I was kind of feeling like a sci-fi movie. So I did click the sci-fi filter and uh, this was the first one I came to that I'd never heard of, that it had someone I knew in it and it was Robin Williams on the cover. And uh, I had never heard of this movie before, so that was that's all I had to go on. Okay, yeah. So we we basically just kind of pick them, just uh, you know, maybe somebody's in it that we like, or interesting, uh, interesting poster art or something. We're really not very picky in that regard. Yeah. The, one of the one of the main things is we just uh, we like to not have ever having seen it before. Correct. And the poster art, I will note, was not interesting for this movie, but it did have Robin Williams in it, so that's that's all I needed. All right. So, uh, so this film is uh, the final cut from 2004, written and directed by Omar Name, and as we've uh, stated, uh, does star Robin Williams as uh, Alan Hackman, Mira Sorvino as Delilah, Jim Cavazil as Fletcher, uh, Mimi Cusick as Thelma, and then a bunch of forgettable uh, kind of uh, momentary characters. But those are uh, those are your main four right there. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about the the plot of this film just a little bit. Uh, it takes place kind of in in an indeterminate timeline. Um, it, it's uh, set like in a near future, but it also has like a 1960s kind of a vibe to things too, because like a lot of the cars, like a lot of the automobiles, in past and present sequences look like old British cars from like the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. I think like, maybe an alternate present. An alternate present might work, you know? Because there's definitely like a lot of high-tech stuff there, but they don't really like live in a high-tech world necessarily. Yeah. There's no like regular computers. There's no cell phones really. That's true actually that you mentioned it. They have this technology that seems pretty advanced, but they don't seem to be using technology in other ways that are They're really not, ad- as you know? advanced. It's like you know, like they still carry cash in one in one example. You see, an, you see an old, you know, an old old quote unquote style six six bullet revolver. But uh, yeah, so it's kind of like Gattaca in that regard, where it's got like that old timey futurist thing going. And uh, would you like to explain uh, basically what the technology is in this film? Yes. So in this film, the uh, some characters have this kind of implant in them that is recording everything they see. And um, this is used for basically like after they die, uh, at their funeral they have a rememory, which is basically like uh, someone cuts all the footage together uh, that basically just encapsulates their life. Um, so it's a pretty advanced technology, obviously, if it's recording everything and it's supposed to be like organic, they said. So like it grows with you as you grow. And becomes undetectable. Right, and uh, it's just part of you. So, uh, kind of an interesting concept. That's what we have to work with. That's The whole movie revolves around it. Our main character is what they call a cutter, 
who is the person who re-edits someone's life for everyone else's consumption at basically like the funeral or, you know, the, it, basically it's, um, their memory is permanent. So, you know, you're like your family can always access it. So people in the future look back on it to kind of like see what kind of person you were or how your life was. Um, we see in one part in a graveyard where someone actually has like their rememory on their tombstone or yeah, their, like their mausoleum. The, on the mausoleum. Yeah. That was an interesting touch. Yeah. So, yeah, Robin Williams is our star cutter in this film. Um, and he has a couple of other colleagues that seem to ha- have been in the game for a while. And there's a couple of newbies, too, you know. So you have some some old guard and some people that are trying to up and come and make their way in the world of cutting. And when he's when he's introduced, too, he's introduced as, like, the fixer. Like, there's a lot of people that uh, do this cutting, and he's known as the person, like, he takes questionable people. The unsavory lives. And turns their rememories into, they, they look like a saint or, you know, like he was able to capture some kind of essence of their humanity that made them, uh, like made it look like a good life. Like there's uh there's one scene early on where he's, uh, he's giving a demonstration for the brother of a, of a dead man. And he's, uh, really pleased with the results and the, and the footage and everything. And it's not quite final cut yet. It's, you know final cut it's still uh it's still a work in progress and after the man leaves you know robin williams as alan hackman interesting uh as you pointed out uh, while we were watching the film interesting name for that character hackman cutter yeah yeah that was all it's almost it's almost so obvious it's painful but you know i i still enjoyed that little a little pun there but uh so he's going through and he's he's going back to editing this man's life and you see like this just really dreadful scene where the man is basically beating his woman to the nearly to the point of death. We never quite find out. Well, she's still alive because I mean, she was here at the funeral. But you see I mean you see a similar looking woman at the funeral, but I'm not sure that it was the same woman necessarily. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, it's probably, but you never know for sure. Either way, he was beating someone. Either way, you know, he's just kind of an unsavory creep asshole. And Robin Williams just kind of goes through and just kind of deletes that memory. Just boop, it's gone. So yeah, definitely a, a fixer of the uh, unseemly and the unsavory. But he definitely sees himself kind of as an artist too in the way that he cuts things. He, we see a couple other short films that he's made um, about people's life. I forget what he calls them. They're like uh, mini, mini something. Oh, I don't man. remember. But basically he has like these mini cuts that he makes of different like a very artistic take on person's life. Like the one that w- the one example was showing a man just brushing his teeth or, or shaving um, through the years going backward. So like when he's an old man, uh, like 82 to like age nine or 10 right, or something. Yeah. Right. Looking in the mirror and kind of his daily routine going all the way back to when he was young and he was a child. And so it's kind of, the, uh, he's trying to find like other meaning in these people's lives. Um, but the, the overall theme in the movie is that like he's not living his own life. He's living other people's lives. And that's what makes him good at it. But it also makes him kind of a pathetic character. Um, as far as he doesn't really live very much. You know, he just, he, his whole life is editing these, these films. And it's kind of an interesting, interesting existence for him too. He's, um, he, he has no close friends other than his colleagues which he doesn't even seem to work with directly. He works alone. He says he has no assistant, has no need for assistance. Um, he 
is in a kind of a relationship with a book uh, seller at a nearby at a nearby bookstore, and and their relationship is hot and cold. They're very they're never quite in sync with each other, and you know she uh, accuses him of basically the things that you have just said. You know she knows it, and even he knows it, and it's hard for him to move past his is living vicariously, you know, to actually be able to fully embrace this relationship with this woman. And it's, uh, yeah, he, he doesn't have a lot of depth with other humans as far as the living goes, you know, but he has like this meticulously kept apartment. He has, you know, fine taste and things, but all of it is just window dressing for him, just scouring these files and these videos and, and these images and all the while, he's racked with this terrible guilt because he's responsible for the death of, of, a, of a young friend when he was about 10 years old. That's one of the first scenes that you see is just him playing with this kid and this kid, you know, falling from a great height and blood everywhere. And, you know, it's a very traumatizing, uh, very traumatizing scene. And that uh, kind of informs everything that he does because he carries this this guilt and this burden with him wherever he goes. And not only that too, but uh, we find that shortly after that incident, his parent, both of his parents also died. So it kind of uh, explains, I think some more why he's more removed from everyone else. Like he um, kind of withdrew from other people, I think as a result of those things. Yeah, he definitely, uh, you really lose your grounding too, when you lose both of your parents and you, has no siblings that, that are ever seen or shown, you know, but he's still possessed with uh, this great sense of humanity too. just a very uh, peculiar character, not entirely likable, but not a, a despicable or unpalatable character either. You get the sense that he's like, um, he's kind of trying to redeem himself through redeeming other people. Um, like the way he, 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 he frames other people is the way he would wish someone would would frame his life. Sure. You know, you know, at at one point, a a former colleague asks him why he does what he does. And he talks about the tradition of the sin eaters who were, were brought in to basically, uh, to come in and symbolically devour the sins of a, of a dead person's life so that they could go on to the afterlife. And so, yeah, you definitely see him trying to atone for his own past sins so uh so that's basically the the background in the world for this character and then the uh the plot thickens when a uh a top lawyer for the company that makes these implants um the zoe implant as it's known some top lawyer charles bannister dies and he's uh he has a reputation for not being a particularly um kind, gentle, or upright citizen. And uh, the, uh, the the case to do the editing and the rememory comes to Robin Williams, which he, of course, accepts because that's what he does. He takes these these dirty jobs that others won't. And it's worth saying, mentioning that uh, this, this man was known uh, for, like, for getting the job done as far as, you know, being ruthless and doing whatever it takes. Um, so you would think it would be kind of hard to turn that into something that would be, uh, 
you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big job. It's, it's a, it's a very big job and a big challenge. And basically just what, uh, you know, Alan Hackman would, would live for at this point. So he takes this job and then immediately, almost immediately a former colleague Fletcher shows up and offers to, to pay, you know, Alan half a million dollars for this, uh, uh, this, this recording, I'm not quite sure what you would call it necessarily. It's like a weird chip thing embedded in some glass. It's, it, you know, it's, it's a fantastical piece of technology. They don't ever really explain how it is, but it's some kind of data flash drive device. So he tries to get that from Alan for half a million dollars and Alan laughs him off. And, um, as we, you know, find out cutters have three, three rules that they have to abide by. You uh, can't give away or sell, you know, anyone's, you know, Zoe memories. Uh, you can't have a Zoe implant yourself. And do you remember what the third one was? Uh, third one was you can't cut other people's. Uh, That's right. That's other right. people's memories into your memory. Yeah, you, you can't combine other people's memories and pass that off as a single person's memory. So those are the the rules that these cutters have to live by. So immediately Fletcher, a former cutter himself is uh, trying to get uh, Alan to uh, give up the goods and, you know, violate one of the tenets of, of his, uh, of his profession, which he of course won't do. And uh, yeah, that kind of builds up a little bit, you know, cause uh, Fletcher played by Jim Cavazil from uh passion of the Christ. He's a, uh, you know, he, he's a persuasive and persistent character. He keeps popping up, you know, first at a uh, at a rememory viewing and then again at a train station, you know, and each time it just kind of ups the pressure on Alan to give up this tape. And why would they want Charles Bannister's uh, information so much? Well, throughout the uh, earlier parts of this movie, too, there has been this undercurrent of there are people that protest this technology. Uh, they don't want surveillance. They think it's... Um you know, unnatural for people to be able to just film them by looking at them. You know, you, you may never know you were in one of these memories until, you know, it comes out. And it's basically just an anti this technology movement. And there's people that they've tattooed themselves, uh, the special electro electrosynthetic ink, yes. which supposedly blocks and disrupts Zoe recordings. Yep. So it makes it so that it can't be recorded uh, or it's blurry or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. It messes up the signal. Um, so there's this group of people who are actually like beating people up and uh, really anti-protesting and all that stuff. Um, so those people want to have some dirt on this technology to get it banned because they basically just want to um, prevent it from happening. Yeah, because like uh, among the things that Mr. Bannister here is accused of is having a shall we say inappropriate relationship with his very young daughter and they want to use all of that to discredit these companies discredit this technology and you know destroy public you know trust in it and also some some of the talk about that electrosynthetic ink tattoos and everything that they have that disrupt the zoe signals a lot of these you know like what they say at one point one in 20 people have a zoe implant and we find out that a lot of these people are born with them. Like they're, but when they're still in the womb, they get these implants and that it's not proper for them to find out until they're 21 years of age. 
So I think a lot of them too get it just so we can't record any more from their perspective either. Right. You know, just a very interesting uh, outlook on it. And it's very, you know, it's a very cyberpunk kind of a movie. And like, it really has those undercurrents of, you know, just this awful technology gone awry. But again, you know, it's very modern, but also in the past with the setting and everything, even the clothing, you know, cause like a lot of these like anti, uh, Zoe recorders, uh, people, you know, like they've got this very cyberpunk kind of look to them and they listen to kind of cyberpunk music when the, when we see one of the, their little tattoo parlors and, uh, you know, but the whole rest of the world is like stuck like in like 1970 Britain. Mm-hmm. It's just, I just really enjoy that about this movie. It's very, it's just very cool. You know, like even, uh, Alan's, uh, main setup, his, uh, his office, if you were, um, you were pointing out like how, how classy it was. Cause it's, it's a, you know, it's like a nice three screen computer, uh, with, you know, like you have a, you have a standard keyboard, but then some other interesting little devices on each side and everything is just like in this beautiful wood paneling, kind of like a, like an old huge hi-fi from like the, you know, like late sixties, early seventies. Yeah. Like his workstation looks amazing. It really does. And it makes you kind of lament all of like the, the plastic glass and steel that we have now, mm-hmm. you know, like in modern offices and everything. Like I, if you can imagine, like if you're just workstation blended that well in with, with your entire office. Yeah. And I mean, that is definitely, um, you know, he even mentions like, I don't know if it's true or not, but he mentions like it's an older model. You know, so maybe his is his setup's a little bit more traditional. A little bit, yeah. I mean, he's got like a like even like the keys on the keyboard are made of wood, mm-hmm. of carved wood, and you can see like on each little key, like there's a like wear and tear on them and everything. So it's not like a pristine unit, yeah. But it has just enough wear to show that it's been, you know, it's seen some things. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's a very just. A, I mean, like th- that alone for me is like kind of worth just checking this movie out. So I, th- I think that the things that did this movie did well are the big concepts and the the um, the way it shows what it wants you to feel or uh, like what it's trying to tell you. I think it's very effective, like those little touches with the computers and um, like you were saying, like the world is interesting. It's a very interesting world and it's it's a world that is because you have like that dissonance between like the old fashioned and the modern or futuristic, I think also too, from like a stylistic point of view, it appeals to a lot of different people. Like even like, you know, the style of the dress, the music, the lighting, the ambience, like all of that. Just that's one of my favorite things about this film are just the very subtle visuals. Absolutely. And the very subtle music as well. You know, it's very beautiful. It's not, uh, not oppressive. It's just, kind of very gently winds its way through the background. You know, it's, you know, you notice it, but it doesn't ever take over. You know, it, it actually fits and suits the mood of what's going on really very well. And, um, I also kind of like how it portrays a future where, uh, like, I think right now, like in our, in our, in our history, we're over inundated with technology like we, it's still so new to the human experience to have all this high tech stuff that we're, we're kind of overdosing on it. And it kind of feels like we're seeing an image of a future, maybe 
50, 60, 70 years from now where, you know, the mainstream culture has prevailed and they have reined in their, a lot of their technological obsess, obsessions with one aspect of the Zoe implants being kind of an outlier, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. See, I, uh, in a way, I think the, the way things are now outdates this concept because I can't imagine in the world we have with mobile devices where people post things like if people post pictures of themselves online like every day oh sure that's already like this concept it's like showing the the you know one frame of you know each moment of your life kind of um oh absolutely i i mean i i definitely do i definitely do see that the world that they're trying to portray really cannot exist yeah you know, moving forward from like the world as it is right now, for sure. But it's an interesting alternate take. It, it very interesting. So, uh, just moving on with the 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 plot here. Um. Yeah. So, what what what's what is the main what is the main uh, obstacle we have? What's the wrench in the works? So he's he's cutting this this film for a client. For this guy so yeah so so he's working on the banister okay so here we go so he's working on the banister uh rememory and it just some you know he's going through footage he he finds a scene where banisters going after the little girl and he just very casually and quietly deletes that forever and then later on at a at some you know party at the house he sees a, a man who reminds him of the boy that died and it really, uh, just certain mannerisms or something cued him into that. And he just dives right into trying to figure out, like, was this the same person? He feels like it was the same person. Mm-hmm. And he, he uses a program called the guillotine, which I find is very interestingly named, to, uh, you know, do facial recognition searches and all this other stuff on him to try to figure out who it was. And that really sidetracks him from the work of working on the banister uh, tapes. Well, then he goes on his side mission because he realizes the computer is going to be too slow. He's not going to be able to, well, I, I don't think he realizes actually, I think it's his, his uh, friend from the bookstore, Thelma, who comes over one night and or kind no. of encourages, Hey, like you, you should just look into it yourself. It'll be a lot faster. So he kind of goes on a mini detective journey. Uh, so he goes and, uh, there's one scene I love that we don't ever really like, like it happens this one time and I wish it happened more of the fact that like he's seen all these people lives and like has the dirt on everyone. So he goes and finds this one guy he knows from someone's tape and kind of blackmails him into getting him a gun. Yeah. Because at this point he's a little concerned for himself with all the protests going on and people getting beat up and, and Fletcher's chasing him and, and Fletcher is kind of threatened him at this point. So, um, it's kind of interesting. He, he he they could have definitely taken that a little bit further. <laughs> but it's uh, funny, yeah, because like he knows the guy's name, he knows his sins. Yeah, yeah. And he just corners him in a bathroom and just lays it out, and he's like, you know, like basically says, hey, "You're responsible for this guy's death," and I just want the same thing that this guy wanted, which is a gun. <laughs> so, and he pays for the gun with yep. cash. Yep. You know, just interesting. Yeah, interesting. That was that was an interesting little aspect of that character too. Like mm-hmm. when it came down to it, he was definitely uh, not going to have any scruples about using what he has learned to to his ad- advantage if he needed to. Right. 
so anyway, he he uh, goes to look for files and stuff because uh, once he well he he gets the name actually from the daughter in the film, the little girl who little, uh, yeah, little, who may have been abused by the father. Um, she she actually knows the name of the person, and it was someone who was her teacher, Lewis Hunt. So uh, we go on a journey to find his file on him and, and to try to retrieve his memory to see how he li- was alive, basically, you know, because we think that he died. Yeah, Lewis Hunt supposedly died a year prior. Yeah. Well, when you know. we thought he died when he was a kid, but first of all, but then we find out that he's died a year later. A year before the current events. Right, right, right. Yeah. I'm sorry. He died yeah. recently. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So with, with some help, he you know he breaks into the. Um, and this was the whole the whole reason for our character's tortured backstory, is that he thought he was the reason that this other kid died when he was a kid, and then left him there because he was scared. Yeah. And yeah, so we so he breaks in where they keep all the records for these things, and he doesn't find uh, he doesn't find a, a a Zoe recording for Lewis Hunt. What does he find though? He finds his own file. He does. With his name on it. Isn't that a bitch? Yes. Because one of the main tenets of being a cutter is you cannot have a Zoe implant yourself. Correct. So that would definitely cause trouble for him if that were the case. So it turns out we, we start putting two and two together and uh the reason that he didn't know about it is because his parents died before they would have told him. Because apparently people People don't tell their kids till they're adults already. When they're mature enough to understand and and live with the knowledge of it. Right. Yeah, because I mean, can you imagine being like 14 years old and all those hormones and everything and your awkward phase and then finding out that everything you're doing is being recorded? <sighs> yeah, that would be really weird. That would be awful. It would be really weird to find out as an adult. Yeah, it would. <laughs> but... It would. So it's definitely an odd thing. Yeah. So he finds out, you know, he does indeed find out that he doesn't indeed have an implant. And uh, he goes, ends up going and he gets a, he gets one of those electrosynthetic tattoos. And then he goes back to his apartment where his uh, bookkeeper, not bookkeeper, but bookseller librarian girlfriend is sleeping and she's gone through all of his tapes that are at the house that include footage of her like with her ex-boyfriend and she flips out and, you know, takes the gun that he was using to protect himself, destroys the banister files. You know, that's a big damn deal. You know, and then she, you know, she exits out of his life, which is, you know, it's unfortunate, but understandable that that was going to happen. Yeah. You know, and she makes a really good point in that film too, you know, at that point in that scene, you know, these are my memories. These belong to me and to him. Who's, her ex who's now dead too. And it's like, yeah, can you imagine like your most intimate moments with somebody that like you really loved who was gone and just other random people, you know, just without your knowledge, you know, being able to, to even view that or anything. I mean, that would, it's, it's outrageous to even think about. And especially for this situation where someone who has already looked through all those memories is now in a relationship with you and didn't tell you like, that's really messed up. Yeah, it is. So, I mean, that's a huge conflict of interest there. And also just, I mean, how would, as, I mean, how would you even move past that? 
I mean, obviously you, know, you don't. You just uh, you're certainly not in this case. So that's what happened there. And uh, so afterward, he's like, all right, you know, so the banister file is destroyed, you know, and that was his main source of information for, you know, Lewis Hunt. So he goes back to his colleagues and, you know, informs them, hey, I have an implant and I need you to, you know, crack into my implant and then I need to look at my memories. And at first I thought it was because, oh, he needs to save the, see, like, you know, like the, the work focus part of me is thinking like, oh God, well, yeah, he's got to save the banister stuff if he can, because, you know, he's be, you know, that's important to that family and they're going to want that stuff. I don't think but, that's just because that was the work part of you. I think that this is the part of the movie that got muddled. Yeah. I think this is where we took, uh, we took a little bit of a turn. I mean... Yes, this is our main character, and really his story is the most important part. But the problem is that we saved, we, we not saved, we solved his story at this point in the film. And so then the rest of the film had to be back to business. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. We solved the main character's story first. And then we went back to the business tie up story. To, lo- to tie up the loose ends. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, because when he goes through, you know, because he goes through and he has his friends jack into him and he can see his memories. Yeah. Which apparently is a very dangerous process. And, you know, one other time they attempted it, the woman got fried, basically. Right. And, you know, he, he basically sees in his little flashbacks that he actually, you know, it wasn't as bad as he remembered. And it wasn't quite as he remembered, which is something they allude to earlier in the film at another uh, rememory where like, you know, you may not remember the correct colors of things or that kind of thing. And how often that right sort of phenomena takes place. You can't trust the memories, especially from that long ago, because yeah. your memory now is a memory of the last time you remembered of the last time you remembered. And uh, everything's not clear in your in your memory. Isn't that amazing how that happens, man? Kind of, kind of scary to think about too. But yeah, so basically, you know, he, he feels absolved. You know, it's like, okay, the kid wasn't covered in blood. Certain, you know, he actually did try to help him. The kid was breathing. The kid was breathing. It wasn't, you know, him. it wasn't as bad as, as he thought. But, you know, in his fear at that age and everything, you know, he experienced those events differently. But yeah, so he does resolve his own inner conflict in that in that moment. And then, yes, then there's the loose ends. Let's talk about the loose ends here. So, Fletcher, we've seen Fletcher was out in his car, kind of staking out the place, and uh, basically saying, hey, we're going to go in there and get the memory after when he's out. We're just going to steal it, and then that'll be it. We're going to hack into it, and we're going to release the footage ourselves, and the protesters will have a field day with the information and, and you know, this technology will be done with, but he doesn't know that it's been shot. And so it doesn't exist anymore. So instead they end up taking all of his notes. So all of his editing notes he's made when he was cutting the movie and then they go on their way. And so Alan ends up going to the cemetery where Lewis Hunt is buried and uh, just kind of to make peace with the the man that he had abandoned like decades before. And he puts a little, it's not like a rat, not quite like a rabbit's foot, but like a little, it's like a carving. It's like a little carving, like on, on a necklace that he's, he's kind of kept with him all of these years that he, 
took, you know, from the scene where the boy fell. You know, lays it on the grave and all that. And then there's the final confrontation with Fletcher and he ends up, uh, you know, being murdered so that they could get his uh, his memories and everything. And our last little scene is just, you know, Fletcher, you know, Alan's old colleague is basically like, your life's going to have meaning I someday, I promise. You know, your death is going to be worth it because people won't have to, you know, deal with this nightmare technology anymore. And I kind of felt like that was a weak ending, too, in a lot of ways. It just didn't. uh, There were so many things that I liked that worked well in this film. Then you just kind of get to that last quarter of the film and it just doesn't gel. Which which is a bummer because that's when like we really needed to come to a point. We need to go in one direction. And we went too many directions near the end um, where it's like we can't resolve this well. Like there is not a clean way to resolve that if that's where you're headed. Yeah, because I mean, you know, because I mean, at some point, you know, because part of it's making sure like the little girl is okay. Yeah. From the family, you know, where, uh, you know, her dad was a scumbag and now, well, his memory is destroyed. So like you know, you're free from that now. Like you'll have your own memories. And it's kind of also shown like, cause she has one of the implants that's shown in her final scene. So her memory will be there still. Yeah. You know, in the future. And that'll be the only record left, you know? Well, it turns out that's not the case, but it's just, it's too messy. Yeah, it is messy. You have too many subplots right at the end. Like, um, like it would have been nice if they all kind of like weaved themselves together in a nice bow at the end, you know, but I guess like life, life is messy. This is a messy movie. It doesn't really, it's like many things in life too. It's not that satisfying when you get there. And like, especially like, okay, our main character finally has peace. He gets peace with himself and with this boy that he didn't kill. And you know, that he did a good job and everything like that. And then his reward is then he just gets killed. <laughs> yeah. You know, or maybe just to atone for his own sins for, you know, covering up the crimes of just terrible men too. I you guess. Know, maybe there's just a universal justice. At I guess maybe here. they're trying to go for that like sin eater, you know, like he was in, in the end, you know, he had to be sacrificed. Yeah, I guess, you know, but it's like, like even that scene with Delilah, you know, he, I, you know, where she shoots the, the banister tape and screams at him and runs off. It's like, I, 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 I felt like there should have been more there too. Mm-hmm. I really felt like that should not have been her last scene in the film. Like, so that was a, like, like, like in, in one sense, like that was a very conclusive scene. But on the other, like it just didn't it didn't feel like it should have been conclusive. It felt like there should have been a little more at the end there with you know, a little more reconciliation or something. Mm-hmm. But you don't get it. No. And it's kinda like uh what what did he have left in his life at this point anyway? Like his career is over. His career's over. There's no people. There's no people. There's no his his woman's gone. He doesn't have any friends, that's for sure. Not if you count Fletcher. <laughs> Right. <laughs> That's the other weird thing. The other really weird choice at the end is that Fletcher shoots at him as he's chasing him around a cemetery. 
but then ultimately decides to let him go. And then Fletcher's That's like, such a weird... That was weird. And then Fletcher's goon ends up killing him anyway. Right. And I... That was just an awkward scene overall. Wasn't it, though? It was very awkward, and it left a weird taste. Like, you've already fired bullets at a man. That you are already willing to end his life. I've already chased him, and I've already basically made your intent clear that you want to kill him. I'm saying the moment you shoot at someone, that first bullet could have killed him. Yeah. So to after all that, then just let him go. Just for somebody else to kill him. Like, just... it. Uh, it was so weak. It got so weak at the end. Yeah, it did. And the connective tissue just wasn't there like it was. The middle of the movie was really solid, especially once you started like when you got the mystery and like, oh, he has one of these implants. Like it, it was really interesting. And I think it really did deliver on the earlier concepts of the film. Um, and, the you know, they developed it well, but they didn't know what to do with like the whole protest movement other than them just being imposing figures. Yeah, they were just really like a non They were inconsequential background characters. There were so many of those. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's the butler at the Bannister house that you see a few times. He's of no consequence. Bannister's widow is of no consequence. True. And we see her a few times and she has speaking lines. There's... Like, uh, the, like yeah. So many, there's so many characters in this film that are inconsequential. There's only like four actual people in the film of any real consequence. That's what I, I think the, the, the big picture things were good in this movie. Yeah, they were. That's what I would definitely praise. The, the concepts, the, um, the big picture things, and the themes throughout the movie were really good. But then I think the minutia of the movie and the small details is what it kind of it falls flat. Which is unfortunate because they got so many of the small details just right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like they they and were doing the middle. they were doing the you know from the beginning and through the middle they were doing really good with that and they just didn't they just didn't go anywhere or add up at the end. Because I think part of it too is we're kept in suspense as far as where is this headed. So until we know where we're headed, it's interesting. That's why I think the second even a- second act, the middle of the movie, is really interesting, especially when we get kind of the twists and turns. Um, but it doesn't go towards a satisfying conclusion because it's really not at the end. You know, and it's, and it's funny because I, I was excited when, when you proposed this film tonight because it's a Robin Williams film. I love Robin Williams. I thought I have either seen or knew of most of every film he had done for there to be a film made in the last 20 years that I hadn't even heard about and had no idea that it even existed. I was both intrigued and also concerned. Yeah. And I think we know why now, why we hadn't heard of this one yet is because it just ultimately isn't very good. It has a lot of potential, has a lot of promise and it never quite gets there. And like, I like him and you know, he's been in a couple serious movies um, where I thought maybe this was going to be more like that, which yeah. it, the tone is a little more serious. And it definitely from that same era of filmmaking, like insomnia and one hour photo when he was, pursuing the more dramatic roles and uh you know but it's like you know people still talk about those other two films they don't talk about this one at least not on my radar yeah no it's too bad yeah i don't think this was a popular film by any stretch no i mean it almost it almost makes you wonder was it direct to video i'm sure i'm sure it wasn't but 
it wasn't long in, in the theaters for that for that matter. Right, so uh, best performance in this film. I mean, you know, for me, you know, it's Robin Williams, hand down, hands down. Yeah, you know, he, you know, he he's great in everything. Just about, he was very believable as uh, like he was awkward a lot, like in a good way. As far as this character who like doesn't have any friends or family, like he played that I think really well. Um, and but also just kind of being this um like artistic person who's way up their own ass like oh a little bit yeah you know what i mean he also plays uh he plays a wider range of emotions in here too i mean he he does the whole stoic like mortuary keeper kind of thing really well yeah but like when he is you know in in serious mental and physical duress you see that as well when he's when he has uh, when he's torn by conflict you can see that really well you know it's at the right level the right intensity you know, you know, he was he was a master at what he at what he did, and, and I love that. And uh, in that said, I mean, let's talk about the most useless and extraneous characters. We already we already touched up on that a little bit. There's a whole lot of inconsequential background characters, but let's talk about like some of the main few here, because you have you know Mira Servino's Delilah, Jim uh, Cavazil's Fletcher, and Mimi's Thelma. And I, I, I don't, I don't think that any. Uh, well, the I, gr- the girlfriend's useful to show how disconnected sure. from reality he is. Um, so I do think that she plays an important part. She does, she does, and in the, the acting in that role was 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 well done. But here's the thing: I can't really say that about any of the other supporting actors. Like Jim uh, Cavazil as Fletcher, I couldn't take him seriously the entire time. Yeah. He, you know, one of my first issues, and I mentioned this too, was his his facial hair. It looks like somebody shaved a hamster's ass and glued it to his face. It just, and, and I believe it's actually his real hair, but it doesn't look real. It looks like. I think it's, just, it's very poofy and like the way it's trimmed. It, it, I mean, the way it's styled, I mean, it looks like. Like somebody like in the Soviet Union learned how to like, you know, apply fake beards, and that's that's who did it for this film. I mean, I, like I, that's the vibe I get. From I it. mentioned it looked like he he was from the Capitol and the Hunger Games because it <laughs> it, it looks a little extreme. I mean, yes. it's not quite as fancy as that, but uh, it definitely stands out. Yeah, it's definitely up there. Yeah, but it, I mean, he so I mean, he looks kind of silly, and then his his voice, his vocal intonations. They just felt a little too, it was too much. He was a little too, too severe. I just couldn't take him seriously. Yeah. He just came on too strong and kind of felt ham fisted. And then, you know, the rest of his colleagues, you know, kind of the same thing. They were just, I I don't think they were well directed. I'll say this. Can I mention one other thing that really stood out to me in this film? And especially the further we went on is that there is no police in this movie at all. Oh, none. And, like, there seems, like, so little, like, there's this guy that has someone's entire memory, and it's, like, guarded by nothing. And people, like, live this way. And uh, where they keep all the memories is, like, well-guarded. It's, like, a safety deposit place. But then, apparently, the cutters just, like, live in these apartments. and Apparently, people can just break in real easy. Yeah. And there's just... 
there's so many times where it's like there is no like that also took me out a little bit once i started thinking about like the police would be all over this if there was someone's memory and you know it was trying to be stolen and there were allegations of like child abuse and that kind of thing because i mean it it seems kind of like common knowledge that the guy was shady Mm -hmm. and you know a, a despicable creep it you know no government entities are interested the fbi isn't interested the cia but again you know alternate timeline who's to say those organizations exist or even what role they serve if they do it's just uh, that part of it's really weird to me yeah yeah very weak like on that like the police would step in i would assume i would assume especially when thing you know or especially when you're basically destroying evidence of illegal activity I mean, I'm sure that, you know, there are laws about that now. Or think about this. He He's well paid to do this job, right? Very well paid. Why wouldn't they hire him bodyguards? Or something like that. To keep his ass from getting kicked? Yeah. Why doesn't he have, like, you know? Well, I mean, like, so, like, at the at, after one, one of the rememories, he's walking out of there, and he's, like, he's got, like, this two-foot-wide thing, and he's got protesters on both sides. You know, they can basically reach out and, like, flick his nose. And there's two guys in suits, you know, after he gets hit with a sign, some guy in a suit's like, hey, now, you know, stay behind the line. And that's it. That's it. Like, yeah, there's no, like, protection security or anything, it seems. But I'm saying, like, that, that that's not, like, that's not even a plot hole. Like, that is a plot trench in the ground. <laughs> like, anyone in this business would have security. You would think. There would be some kind of support system. Yeah, especially that's just people being stupid. Yeah, like I mean, this other, even the other cutter, one of their assistants got beat up. Oh yeah, it's like, okay, you get protection for yourself then, but no one seems to be concerned. I mean, yeah. they're concerned, they're worried about these protests, but well, I mean, like they don't do anything about it. Like, like you know, like very early in the movie, you know, Alan's riding a bus, a, a dingy city bus, and as he gets off, he's can you know he's kind of has a stare down match with. One of these, you know, inked up, tattooed, uh, anti-Zoe people, protesters, you know, and that's an uncomfortable exchange. And he's just, he's just taking the city bus, like with this like expensive, delicate equipment. He can't even get a cab. He's that cheap. I mean, we've seen his digs. He's got nice stuff. He's got, he's, you know, he's well paid. And I mean, he's, and he's a, taking a single the man bus. living alone. He's, like, and he's taking what kind the, of expenses does he have? He's taking the bus. Yeah. And I just thought that was funny. Anyway. You know, but it, it just throws into relief that, you know, like that is a, indeed a plot trench that there's no security or protection for these people. You know, must have, would have raised the budget of the film too much. Who knows? <laughs> right. All right. So, uh, so final summary and recommendation. I, uh, I would recommend this film as a, as a see it once, but that would be it. It's uh if if you like, it's worth seeing for Robin Williams, and it's worth seeing him in a, in a do well in, in a dramatic role. And and I would recommend it based on that strength. If pretty much anybody else was in the starring role in this film, I I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't recommend this movie, and I'd say go watch one of those movies instead. Like go watch one of the better movies where he, he he's a serious character. I would I would rather watch. I mean, it's not just serious because there's a lot of comedy, but like I would watch Good Morning Vietnam again rather than watch this movie. <laughs> That's fair. But if you're a Robin Williams fan and you want to really see everything that he's done, 
this would definitely be worth watching for his performance. Well, you know, one of my favorite actors is Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman has done a lot of bad movies. A lot of them. I still love his performance in those films. And I would still watch some of those films just because he's in them. Yeah. Not all of them. There's a couple that were pretty bad. But most of them I'll watch because he's in it. I'm I'm just not in that place for this movie. I appreciate I appreciated the concept and a lot of the things in it. But I did not, I would say, enjoy it. Do you know what I uh do you know what I think did this concept better? That early episode of uh Black Mirror. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't help but thinking of that as oh, yeah. well. I was thinking about that the entire time. And and that's the other the problem because this movie had a very narrow conceptualization of what this technology and what it was used for. And I found that to be also kind of unrealistic. Like, if you had this kind of technology, it would be in other things. And it would be abused like crazy. And yeah, it would and be misused like crazy. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it was. Yeah, we, we didn't talk about that, but it really seems like they were really restrained on how awry this this technology and these these problems would go i mean like we, i feel like we we're just scratching the surface with them for real just i don't know but yeah black black mirror did it better i think for sure that is a great episode of uh, black mirror one of the best if you enjoyed this segment please subscribe to our channel on youtube or follow us wherever you're listening Thank you for tuning in, and we'll be back next week with a brand new review here on Complimentary Cinema at the O&M Stockroom.